Hello, welcome to the Books That Built Me podcast. I'm Helen Brocklebank, and today I'm very happy to have Sarah Manning, author of After the Last Dance, her latest book of what we might call a vivid, seductive novel of love and war, which weaves two, the, sto- the stories of two women separated by time, but connected by fate. She's also the author of four other grown-up novels and a unbelievably prolific outpouring of young adult fiction as well. I kind of lost count. How many adult fiction? I can't novels? even I lost count as well. That's so close, doesn't it? I've lost count, darling. Not to mention your journalistic output. I mean, we came across each other working in teen magazines. Yes. J17 and L Girl. Well, I think J17 is like... The Mickey Mouse Club of magazines. <laughs> Everybody across people. It. It. Yes. It's either, or then you've got a very posh little cohort who starts at the face. I don't talk to them, they're too posh. Really. Yeah, that's far too but, posh. Um, but that's, but that's, but you've, and you've written for uh, Grazia, for Stella, for The Guardian, for Elle, and of course your most recently read literary editor. I am How indeed. have we been? Is that three years now? No, it's just over a year. Just over a year, oh my God. But well, I think in dog years. In dog on. years, exactly. <laughs> Magazine years are like that. Um, so we we but we're going we're not going to talk about uh, we're not going to reminisce about teen press or uh, or talk about young adult fiction. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about the mutual passion for Georgia. Yeah. So you've got two unbelievably beautiful copies there. Tell us a little bit about the copies that you've got. When I came to Georgia Heyer quite late in the actual reading of them but they were just a constant of my life because my mother was just an absolute rabid Georgetta Heyer fangirl so um we had all the books on the shelf in the living room and just one of my favorite things as a kid was to pull the pan paperbacks down from the shelf because they had these sort of solid block of color and then an oval with a lady in a pretty dress so these Georgetta Heyers were just this kind of thing in the house and then I was like a really snarly teenager my mum would say oh just read a Georgetta Hay you'd love it it's like no oh, no. Oh, I want to read Kathy Echo and <laughs> Sylvia Plath and <laughs> I had a big Sylvia Plath <laughs> I also had a bit I wrote a lot of Sylvia, Sylvia Plath poetry oh yeah I hope it's been burnt thank god the internet didn't exist then <laughs> so um I never read I never read Georgetta Hay and then my mother passed away about 14 years ago and I just sort of said to my dad oh you know yeah I'll take the Georgetta Hayers one day one day and then I had like a massive book cull liberated some shelf space and I just said to my dad okay yeah, I'm going to sort of take the Georgetta Hayers because I would go and see him every week and I'll do it like the Johnny Cash song and I'll take them a couple at a time so then my first batch Regency Buck, which I've got here in a really fantastic 60s pan paperback. It's a first edition paperback, isn't it? And it's I think absolutely so. glorious. Well, they it would looks... do these really salacious, we'll get some smut out of this. It's a real Pulp Fiction cover, isn't it? Regency yeah. Buck. You've got two fabulous guys in tight deerskin pantaloons having what looks like a, a fight over a woman. Brawl. <laughs> and a woman just going, no, don't, not over me. Not over me. Adventure, excitement, excitement romance. romance. Fabulous. So Regency Buck was my first Georgetta Heyer and it was just the best one to start with. Um, just because one of my bulletproof fiction kinks is sardonic older man yes. and flighty young heiress. 
So I, just you that's know, her shtick, isn't it? it? I mean, they their heroes are saturnine. They always. really are sardonic. Really, aquiline profiles. Yes, aquiline profiles frequently. Yes, an arch of a devilish brow. You know, a cool smile playing along a lip. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they all had to be kind of shrunked into their jackets. Oh, super fine. Of, of super fine, yeah. <laughs> By their valet. <laughs> By their valet. <laughs> because Western has made them so beautiful, them so beautifully they can't. They can't fit around their manly arms. Yes, and just sort of the high polish on the hair soon <laughs> <laughs> So Regency Bug is just everything I love. There's this kind of heiress called Judith Tavernier, and the hero is called... Gosh, can't remember his name, but he's just wonderful anyway, and very sneery, and... Um, they all sort of end up in sort of London after sort of many japes and they stay at the hotel called Creon. Oh, is yes. it Creon? Were they all... Or is it? In it's, Paris, in Creon. No, it's not no, Creon. So, Where is it? They're always racketing around in curricles and feet, oh, feet, yes. feet, feet, I've never known how to pronounce And they always that. do this thing which is like the equivalent of kind of getting papped on the way to Starbucks. They have to do a lap round Hyde Park, <laughs> don't they? Um, oh, it's just... It's just it's just wonderful. And then all these things happen and they end up together. And it was just such a great introduction to Haya. And then I just kind of gorged. I just gorged on her. So I didn't think so. My mum had lots of those pan paper bags. And they're actually very beautiful still. I've got, I've stolen them from her. I don't know if she even realises that I've stolen them. <laughs> I might get them back. Never. Never. Uh, Arabella and Sprig Muslin, Muslin and the Convenient yes. Marriage. And there's quite a lot of them. And I very, as a teenager, like you, I was you know, busy writing gloomy poetry and I very snottily went, oh, it's all Jane Austen writing, not reading it. <laughs> what a fool what I was. Fool. And then at university, I did a course in popular, in the kind of popular novel. I can't remember, it was probably called something more interesting than that. And Antea was a set text. <gasps> no. And I went... I just like I discovered the key to the literary treasure house. Fortunately, as obviously as an English literature student, I had 10 hours a week. And then every other hour that week, I spent under, in my bed reading I'm the so works of Georgia. Hey, it was brilliant. I don't remember anything about the course at all, but I do remember, oh, she's brilliant. And I kind of, I'm not really sure why it is that they're so... Let's say she's got lots and lots and lots of uh, bit hard, big hitting literary fans. So Sarah Churchwell loves George O'Hare. Yeah, Julie um, Cooper loves George O'Hare. In fact, she's going to talk about Devil's Cub when her books are built in the next week. Um, and on and on and on. But and also on and on. being on sort of Twitter and running with a bookish crowd. Indian Knight loves George O'Hare. Yeah. You just actually think, oh my God, these are my people, and there is just a mass of sort of Georgetta Hare fans, which is sort of really. I mean, it's really heartening, actually. It is we really bring it back in the days of Trump and other nonsense on Twitter. Exactly. I mean, that's the night people are always like, oh, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter is awful. But I think actually, if you find your people, and particularly if they're book people, it's actually a very sort of lovely environment, and it is just about a sort of a joy of 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 reading and having these sort of beloved books like Haya. So. I'm, but I am quite jealous of other Haya fangirls, I know, because they came to them early, so they've just had an opportunity to kind of... Harriet Evans has just got this encyclopedic knowledge of 
of Haya in the same way that I have an encyclopedic knowledge of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> and I can like see an episode and in two seconds I'll say, oh yes, well obviously that's Hush from season... Harriet Evans just knows like, that. everything go, about every Haya The Marquis of Vidal and she goes, oh yes, he's the son of X and Devil's Card, blah, blah. Blah, blah, yeah, it's quite... We, it, have a, we ought to have a quiz. That would be really good. A Twitter quiz. Yeah, something for a Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon. Definitely. But what is it? So she's 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 tremendously well researched, though, isn't she? About creating this regency regency world. Yeah, I mean, just I read somewhere that you know she just had like this office and it was just crammed, sort of full of these sort of boxes of index cards with all these sort of in-depth notes on sort of fashion. I mean, famously, she bought. Um, one of the Duke of Wellington's letters at auction so that she could write him authentically for like a scene. Really? Wow. Just that real attention to detail that you don't have in Austen's novels because Austen's because novels... Because she was living in her content. own bubble, yeah. Yes, exactly. So um, I, lo- I think also it's a really 1930s thing to have that kind of attention. Because to- I also really love Angela Thurkel. Yes. And it is just, I mean... Um, God, one of her books before lunch. She t- <laughs> there's there's like a thing, and they're going to be some doing some development of this ancient field, and there's got to be like a local meeting, the parish council, and before that meeting, the parish council, she takes five pages to basically describe what everybody in the village <laughs> is having for lunch that day, and I I love that kind of thing, but it is a very 1930s 1940s thing, which is really hard when you. You kind of gorge on those novels, and you're a modern writer, and then your editor is just going, just get rid of this. Oh, really? Get you're not allowed to this. do that anymore. It's, oh, the, uh, it's against just, the rules. It's just, it's all pace, pace, pace. You know. But she doesn't ever lose pace, does she? Uh, here, I mean, she's quite a pacey author. But she's very, she's very much about sort of characterisation and detail. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the opening of Devil's Cup is fantastic. You've got the Marquis of um, of Vidal. Uh, who who's in a carriage on you know some kind of ter- terrible road going somewhere, and his coachman is instructed to go very very fast, and they're held up by a highwayman. Yes, and he just <laughs> very, again lovely sardonic kind of languid lugubrious kind of hero lolling back nonchalantly on the coach cushions, not remotely faced by the a the hurry bumpy road or being held up by a highwayman. And this Hyam's face appears at the coach window, and then there's a flash, and he just kills him, and then <laughs> and then complains about the fact he's just shot a hole through his uh, caped greatcoat. Because they have they have they many have caves. many caves, and that always. And then I remember, I think it might actually have been one of the um, Pride and Prejudice. I think it might be the one when Matthew McFadden wears that awful wig, but he had a greatcoat with many capes on it. I was like, oh, the hair. Ah. That's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah they're quite. I mean, the the the, um, the detail around clothing actually is really beautiful, isn't it? It really is just gorgeous, and you is it really makes it come alive as well. Um, just those sort of details of sort of dresses, but the, also little things that she uses to just sort of. So if somebody's a spinster, so they're like twenty eight, and a spinster, <laughs> and she always sort of says, "Oh, you know," and the. She wears the lace cap of the spinster, which is just sort of such a great device because then the hero can be sort of really scornful about the fact that she's taken up the. Le- but she uses sort of fashion in sort of quite 
an interesting way to kind of denote. She really builds character with it, doesn't yes. she? So there's um, so dowagers tend to wear a turban, you know. So you get this, which um, always makes me think of like um, French and Saunders. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was going to say you don't want to poke too hard, but actually you can poke quite hard at hair, and you never really. She doesn't. She doesn't um, falter. So I'm just thinking about building character around the descriptions of, of what they're wearing and how they. Because like her heroes, you know, they are always beautifully dressed, but there's always that kind of like trope of sort of you know that you've got the macaronis and the tulips just sort of having these really complicated neckcloths with all these sort of big things and nobody can ever replicate the sort of the hero's sort of neckcloth. Yes, the, be- yes, the beautiful fall of his cravat, which yes. he ties effortlessly, he trains valet to tie effortlessly. And nobody else can do it. So it is, it, she sort of uses those fashion as sort of a device to kind of, particularly with sort of the heroes, where you get these other men that are just like these fantastic... Try to, trying too hard. Trying to pop in jays, yeah. the lots of them. It's that effortless chic. There's not a dandy. It's always very manly as well. They can, they go, most of the heroines, the heroes rather, go and box quite a lot. Yeah, and that was like a really fight. big thing then, wasn't it? That they would, you know, they didn't have like gyms or squash courts. They would go boxing... Mm. Tell, let's talk a bit, a bit about the about the heroines because they are they're the antithesis of a Barbara Cartman heroine. They're mm. spirited always, aren't they? And much much more like an Elizabeth Bennet than than some you know the rom- you know romantic yeah. chit might be a hair word. Well, I think also what I really I mean I came for the fly to young heiresses, but actually as I kind of read more hair, I also sort of liked that in her later novels she would have these spinsters of sort of 28 or 29 and they would be sort of really considered and sort of lively. So I just sort of think she was really great at writing these sort of female heroines that although it's a Regency novel, you could sort of admire. Yes, and although, I mean, I the only the only avenue really open to them is is marriage, isn't it? Yes. I mean, you know, it's marriage to their spinsters. You know, in 1812, you're not about to stay a to forge your own career path, are you? not, no. But it's never seen as being a compromise. It's always a very, very much a kind of an equal alliance. The spirited hero and the very spirited, intelligent heroine. I mean, I think what's really interesting is it's not a romance in, like, they fall passionately in love. They discover sort of a commonality and, and sort of a spark between them and actually sort of romance develops... So how close is that do you think to Screwball? Because that's another big kind of thirties. Um, I mean, that's yeah, Screwball is too yes. like, typical comedy film thing. Oh, but it really is, especially in Snowdrift, which is the short stories that have just been re- released. I say released, but it's really reissued because it's basically Pistols for Two with three um, three other stories that. Hayer's biographer found while she was oh, researching. Right. She was a really prolific writer of short stories. I mean, that's really kind of how she she sort of launched her mm. career. Of, there was just a lot of avenues for sort of stories. Um, and they are really screwball. I mean, <laughs> they are quite samey in a really delightful way in that they all involve kind of people youngsters eloping to Gretna Green and a carriage sort of race to sort of overtake them and sort of coaching ins and it is all a bit sort of madcap um 
And I, I do think that she does have that really sort of fantastic... There's always, again, kind of like a Hepburn-y thing about the, about the heroine. They're and, really you know, sort of... Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, there's just real... It's just, it's really, it's sparring. Yeah. Nobody yeah, ever... Sparring, of, yes, yeah, sparring, exactly. it's that really sort of just snappy dialogue. Just, it's just a beautiful sort of balancing act, really. So the so the short the short this book of short stories is out is it out it's now? out now yes William Heinemann lovely Christmas present I would say mm, yes nice and they and they so they they're not it's not it's a re it's a reissue so they is it, is a new well it's basically all the stories that are in Pistols for two and three new, new stories that have been recently sort of rediscovered oh, I'm very pleased about this because I haven't actually have the short stories. Oh, that's the best be... thing about an author you like when you discover they've got something yes. new you don't know about. I mean, it was such a treat, actually, to just kind of have a new hair to read, as it, as it were. So if you've got, you got a favourite? I do have a really soft spot for Cotillion, because I think sort of sometimes, I would, you know, hair can be quite formulaic, but with Cotillion, it just sort of really pulls the rug out from under you. So you have... um. You have an heiress called Kitty, and she's under the thrall of this handsome guy called Jack Westrother. And you think, well, you know, he's a bit of a rake, but he's going to sort of transform himself as Hayer's heroes do, and he doesn't. And he's actually a sort of a fortune hunting near do well. <laughs> and then um, she's got this silly cousin called Freddie, who's just an absolute nincompoop and a dandy. And actually, Freddie sort of comes to the rescue and they just have this sort of deepening sort of relationship. Um, and they, he becomes a hero he for Kitty, really. He turns out to have really. hidden Yes. And, and so I just sort of really love that fact that just when I think I have sort of Jetta Heya, you know, I, I kind of get her. She just did something sort of quite different, which I really liked. I just like some of the ones actually with... I like Lady of Quality because oh, yes. I really love Annis Witchwood. I think she's just such a great... She's really great. She's a great character. She's such a great character. She's also calm and amused. And, and it has, like, the rudest man in London, <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of just words that make my heart kind of go pitter-patter. But actually, in real life, that probably means A.A. Gill. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, really. Yeah, quite, the, the rudeness is always quite mannered, isn't it? It's... Uh... It's a wit. It's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a witty, witty yes. cutting. Yeah. Yes. So when you're writing your own heroines in your books, because the, I mean, uh, young adult and the uh, and the adult fiction that you write, uh, it, it, tend, it tends to be I mean, much. I don't want to unsell them because they're much more complicated than this. But it's but romance and um, is is a is a big part of what you're, what you're doing there. And, what, and they appeal for me yes. actually. When you're writing your heroes, what does George Payer teach you do you think oh god it's really hard because if i had my way every one of my heroes would be be really really sardonic (laughs) and arching his eyebrows like left right and center i think just there has to be a respect and i think that they it might start as an uneven wrote relationship like in unsticky which was my first grown-up novel i love that i mean it is hey a lie it's kind of flighty young girl it's sardonic older man but sort of actually in order for there to be sort of a, a realistic relationship and a feeling that you know after the last page they're not going to sort of implode there has to be sort of coming to, together that's on a more sort of like even 
footing where they become sort of equals. Yes, they come together as equals, and that is that's the thing that she does so cleverly. And, that, and unsticky, it does that so well. And yet, you're never you're quite unsure for quite a long time whether it's going to quite. Come I on. do, I do, I also do like morally ambiguous, particularly in my heroes, and I do like having a heroine who is a bit of an unreliable sort of narrator, but a bit, a, a bit hoydenish. Yes, I love that word, Yes. Her vocabulary is just, just wonderful. Fantastic. Ape leader, which is, um, actually comes from Dante, and I think denotes a spinster. But it's like, how how do I even know that expression? I know, and it's just, and what I like is she doesn't pander down, there's no glossary, it's just kind of, you just have to take it on trust. And just some of those expressions. I love a fit of the solemns. And it does not signify, which is just like, whatever. Yes, it does not signify. signify. <laughs> and just, you know, just those da- the great words for dandies, like macaronis or tulips. And I, I think that they are really slangy, her books. And I think that's another reason, another way that she just makes that period come alive Yes, really quickly. I mean, you're in two within two pages. You're right in, you know, you're right there in the smells and gorgeousness of the seventeenth century. Yeah, sorry, eighteenth yes. century, nineteenth century, eighteenth century. Uh, yeah, 18th, 19th century. Yeah. So, but yeah. um, and it's great because if you go on the internet, you can actually find these sort of like amazing sort of hair glossaries. Yeah, there was a the her own the Georgia Hair website actually is quite is quite good like that. Even you know, but yeah, the fan fan site. Yes. So why so there's Sophie Hannah of course is writing Agatha Christie and there's quite a vogue for reviving, I guess, or writing it's not pastiche, it's what would you call it? It's so, kind of you it's know, sort it's of like homage. Homage, isn't it? yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean there's all the James Bonds um yes. ones, which are all quite good. Do we could we do it with Georgette Heyer? Well I think the thing with Georgetta Heyer is she invented the Regency romance. It didn't exist. And I think what is really hard now is that, I mean, I read a lot of Regency romance and it is just kind of, it's a 10th generation copy now. And there are some writers that are doing sort of the more polite sort of Regency novels mm. where it's sort of more mannered. And then you get the ones that are the really popular ones like Lisa Claypass, um, Stephanie Lawrence, Julia Quinn. And it's just kind of, they're sort of, Fun, but just anachronistic, yeah, kind not. of explicit sex scenes. A bit body swiffery. And, and they have just, each one is just so formulaic. So I just sort of think it's really sort of, to have to, you'd have to go back to that sort of pure sort of hair, sort of not distilled. Yeah. And I just sort of think that it's, it's really hard because just that, whole Regency romancing has just become sort of such a huge industry sort of in itself. After I'd finished reading my Hayers, I went and sort of just Googled writers that are like Georgetta Hayer and it's just really sort of hard to say. Hey, she's, you know, she's entire, entire and whole unto herself, isn't she? Exactly. And so if you did try to sort of write like her, you would just be sort of writing like one of the other sort of Regency... Yes, it would be really hard to pull off. It's not like a James Bond that you can that there is a very distinct or you know maybe maybe those books work because there's actually a there's a distinct hero that you can then follow. So yes, uh, as long and as also she's got such a distinct voice. But you think sort of 
James Bond, you know, there are spy novels, but James Bond is a a particular thing, but not such a strong voice. I mean, also, there's, have you any, read any Barbara Cartman? Yes, I went through a phase. After university, I couldn't read a single actual book. Because you know that here, she you know, got... But I read all of hers. And she sort of plagiarised Georgetta, and that was a case. Did she? Oh, I didn't know she that. Played, I mean, she just ripped it off... Um, Wholesale. I think it was actually also one of the these old shades. It, it might have been, and I think actually, sort of Georgetta Hare kicked up a massive sting and just said, "You've completely yeah, you've ripped really this did. off." And they tried to bluster their way out of it. And even now, to this day, Barbara Cartland's sort of grandson or nephew just says, "Oh, she didn't need to rip off Hare, but um, she 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 did it really blatantly in one book, and then there were other things." But she just, she couldn't step up that jaw, that, that hair plate, could she? No, I mean, I've got a lot of time for Babs, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, I loved her. I mean, I, I'm nev- I will never regret that six months decompression Barbara Carlton chamber I spent after university. Couldn't face a single, what you might call a proper book. Perhaps just read a lot of Barbara Carlton. It was like a, I don't know, like a Debrief, yeah. yeah. Yeah, debrief, exactly. Yeah. It was funny. So, um, so what are you writing at the moment. So I've just finished another grown-up novel called The House of Secrets, which is set um, in 1936, and it's set in the present day, and it's a house in Highgate that hasn't been lived in since it was built in 1936, and this young couple sort of move in to it. They sort of find an advert in the Ham and High, and it's just going for an absolute song because it just is basically falling down and never been lived in. And the first night they find a suitcase pushed to the back of a cupboard and it belongs to this woman called Libby. And they just don't know what her connection is with the house. But there's a connection that she and the modern sort of heroine Zoe have. So, and Libby was an actress and um, she was abandoned by her husband, Freddie, on honeymoon in Paris. And now he's off sort of writing about the Spanish Civil War and um, so Libby's story starts where she goes away to Brighton for the weekend with a man that she's never met, and she's gone to be a paid colluder, a co-respondent in his divorce. Oh, to leap out of the wardrobe. Or, or, to, or, to, be, or to be there when the... When the yeah, um, when the when maid the, comes in with yeah. a breakfast tray. <laughs> <laughs> it all kind of goes oh, horribly brilliant. wrong. So it's kind of sort of... T- yeah, so I've been... I've done that, which was that just... That sounds marvellous. So when can, we, when can we expect that? Oh, um, it's coming out in January as a really expensive export paperback and Kindle, and then it comes out properly in July. Fab. Fab. And then, yes, and and then hopefully there'll be... I just really love writing, well, sort of like 20th century historical, and I just would really like to just do them that are just all about that and not have to do any modern day strands yeah. that's hopefully although it was I mean it was it I thought that, uh, in after Lost Dance that's that combining of those two strands was really powerful yeah it's kind of weird actually because I've always written contemporary and I was really a frit about writing period stuff but I love the 1930s and the 1940s so once I got over my kind of panic of oh my god how much does it cost to use the bus in like 1939 (laughs) I don't know it just actually felt very natural and actually it was harder to write the contemporary weirdly Mm. you were channeling Georgette Hare 
I don't know. Her 30s spirit of writing and being. Also, the thing about Haya that is so amazing is, as well as writing these really sort of densely detailed Regency romances, one a year, she'd also write a crime novel a year. What do you think of her crime novels? So I have, I've got a couple, but I haven't actually read them. I'm not a huge. I only read one, and I quite liked it. But it's really, it's really hard, I think, to. If you love, if you love the Regency stuff, because mm. I feel that I should really like the Golden Age of Crime, and I should persevere with Dorothy L. Sayers, because I feel I read. Yeah, it should be like a spiritual connection. There should be, you know, Lord Peter Whimsey, Harriet Vane, but I, I think the first Sayers that I read was not the right one. Yeah, it's just yeah, it was that one. To... What was it? It's the one where Carcass is spelled a funny way. Oh, I don't know. I had a, I had a Dorothy L. Sayers binge at one point, and I can't, now I can't remember any of them, oh, apart from Nine Tailors and um, It's the one where they Gordy find, Knight. like, a body in a boat, sort of, like, far out to sea, and it's all about the tides, and... Yeah. It just don't... I think I should have started with, like, Murder Must Advertise or Gordy Night or something like yes. that. Yeah, worth, I think worth, worth revisiting. And Marjorie Allingham's were, actually, from that And I've period. got the fashion in shrouds just because I'm sort of researching... 1930s, 1940s English fashion houses. Ooh. <laughs> Some may say it was just an excuse you know to rewatch re- <laughs> the House of Elliot. I love the House of Elliot. Not now, Jack. The House of Elliot, wasn't it? The uh, French and Saunders did the, you know, the parody bit. It was bad. Oh, and I can't wait to read that. I'll be fine. And I've been looking now for. Um, all the little hair clues about you know, strong, strong heroes, feisty heroines, hoidenish behaviour. Because every book that I've ever read that I've really loved, I really, when I was a girl, a young slip of a girl, I really loved Lorna Hill's Saddler, yes. Sebastian Scott, a sardonic hero if ever there was one. So Curl I just of a lip. Yes. So there's always a cowlick of black hair, sparkling blue eyes. So there has always been an all the books that I've really loved, there's always been that kind of hero. That Im- actually, early imprinting. But actually, if I met a man like that in real life, I'm just like... Well, fortunately for both of us, they didn't exist. They don't exist. Or they would just be the worst kind of mansplainer, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> also, I dare say, you know, one of those, one of those caped coats with all the, uh, all the different capes all the way down would be a hard look to carry off even in it, the middle of Soho. It really would. It's kind of like when you find out that Rupert Campbell Black was based on um, Andrew Parker Bowles. And he know, just loses something. Actually, he's quite, he is quite hairish thinking about it in some ways I just I read Mount Mount and it's just all my sort of yeah issues with Gillian he's 60 now isn't he in that book so um, he has evolved barely though (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether it's just like in my sort of in the last five years since Jump I've just become more zero tolerance but I found Mount a hard read actually yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting because I've gone back and I've just been reading Riders, so I think my my tolerance level for Rupert Campbell-Black bad behaviour is probably very, very high, and that's that would that makes Mount an easier an easier read. Yeah, I mean, it's but. just 
all of yeah, he's not. He hasn't of... got the he hasn't got the love of a feisty, intelligent heroine. But oh uh, my an, god, a hair, oh novel god, have. Taggy. She's, honestly, she's just so Bless rare. Man. I just want to wing her out. <laughs> <laughs> We should probably we should probably draw this to a close. It was so lovely oh, talking to you. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you. What a complete complete indulgence I in know, the best way fun. to talk about uh, to exactly. I'm going to go back and finish up Devil's Cup now. I've got so much yeah. to read that isn't here, but um, yeah, maybe it's, it's like yeah, slip and cheek because there's not a lot. There's not a long read, is it? So uh, no, a muse bouche, a little palate cleanser. They are such comfort reads. And she's not leaky either. I mean, as a, you know, I'm just reading the Diary of a Provincial Lady, and I find I love Diary so good. But actually, her style is so distinctive; it's very, very, very leaky. Now when that's you're writing what your I would style. really love to do. I would yeah, really I love really to write love a modern Diary of a Provincial Lady. I mean, I would just God, every so fibre of my. Have you read Diary of a Provincial Daughter, the one that her daughter? Oh no! Oh gosh, you know, I've got I've got now developing a very long list of book recommendations talking to you so oh yes her daughter wrote and it's kind of the 60s and it's all a bit kind of like you know sort of child care and (laughs) but I would really I just think it would just be the most perfect thing to write to over a provincial lady it's still so wonderful it's so good it really would just you could almost just imagine her sort of like living in Chipping Norton just being a bit scathing of that whole sort of (laughs) set and coming up to, to London I just like just honestly, just almost basically want to just pitch for Argo and just let me do this. Yeah, just do it. Mm. So many books. That just, but I think she. I think yeah, she's very leaky though. She's really leaky. You can't read it and not then suddenly write pastiche dive and just sort of, and just say things like I think I wear my navy blue tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and well, Lady Sainz here came around quite unexpectedly. <laughs> oh, I can't say. Well, yeah, yeah, and just sort of you know start planting hydrangea bulbs in the loft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Left it too you're late. You've left it too late. Those bulbs will never come up. <laughs> <laughs> and other people's children always be much better behaved than yours are. Yes. Yeah. And you could just sort of have like a French au pair girl, couldn't you? That would just be oh, much. Yes, oh, it's she's just... such, Mademoiselle's such a good character. Come disproving Smith. Anyway, we should leave it there. Because then we'll be doing a Provincial <laughs> Lady podcast. Yeah, we, we should. We've got to we do should. it. We should. She's another one that's got lots of fans. A huge amount of fans. So, it would be yeah. really nice to do a Provincial Lady round table, actually. Let's do it. Right, we're going to organise that right now. We should, we should, shouldn't we? Sorry, Manny, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Books That Built Me. You can find out more on the website, thebookstatbuiltme.co.uk, or on Facebook. And I'd like to thank the lovely sponsors of The Books That Built Me, Champagne Bollinger, Breastat Chocolate, and Tatler.